Through their investment in the Minnesota Corn Checkoff, corn growers are fueling research and initiatives that build a more sustainable future for farmers and all Minnesotans. The Minnesota Corn Podcast introduces you to the individuals who are shaping future ag practices, identifying new markets, and promoting agriculture with the non-farming public. Our guest for this episode is Kerry Sipperath, Vice President of the U.S. Grains Council. Kerry, let's start with an overview of the Grains Council and the work you do around the world. Um, yeah, so the U.S. Grain Council uh, develops markets and promotes exports of U.S. corn, barley, and sorghum. And their co-products, um, our big co-products uh, that we work with are you know, grain-based or corn-based ethanol exports, um, DDGS, the co-product from the ethanol industry, along with some other corn co-products. Um, but also now in a growing uh, amount is some of the high pro or the corn fermented protein products, some of the newer uh, corn co-products coming out of uh, ethanol plants today. How would you sum up corn exports during the last marketing year? Um, yeah, you know, we we had, you know, the, the past two marketing years, we had some, you know, two years ago, we had record corn exports, all-time record. And even last year, uh, a marketing year a year ago was fairly good. So the 22-23 marketing year that ended in, on August 31st, um, we were down a bit, um, but uh, still saw some strong uh, corn uh, export numbers to some of our top, uh, our, actually our top market, Mexico. Uh, you know, Mexico still bought 635.9 million bushels, um, continues to be our, our strongest uh, corn export market, um, despite some of the uh, issues, ongoing issues, um, around the presidential decree in Mexico um, that's now getting more focused on white corn. Uh, we still see strong demand from Mexico, um, both for their uh, feed and livestock industry, as well as for their corn starch and starch and sweetener industry there in Mexico. Um, China uh, continues to be our second largest export market, um, but exports to China, while still large and put them second place, um, was down uh, about forty uh, percent. Um, shipped about three hundred five three hundred five point five million bushels to China, um, and in twenty twenty, starting in twenty twenty three, we saw China um, starting to import Brazilian corn in large quantities um, that we haven't seen China do in the past, and so um, that kind of uh, ramps up what we see um, even globally is stronger competition from the Brazilians um, in the global corn market. Um, <clears throat> and even Japan, our normal strong uh, market there, uh, the Japanese were down around 30% um, at 264.9 million bushels of corn exported from the U.S. to there. Um, and so, again, we, we're seeing strong buying from our generally uh, regular top customers um, but strong global competition, predominantly from, from Brazil, um, had us being a, a bit of a down year. Um, early into the current marketing year, you know, which would start at September 1st, so we're not even quite two months into it, uh, we are seeing uh, corn exports pick up um, predominantly to Mexico and Japan at a much faster pace than, than we had even la last year at this time. I'm guessing you haven't been asked about the phase one trade agreement in a while. But in looking at those corn export numbers from a couple of years ago and comparing them to now, it made me think about phase one and the fact that phase two never materialized. Yeah, yeah. So phase one, you know, basically came and went. Phase two never did manifest, as you said. Um, 
And, and the U.S.-China relationship is obviously not at its peak um, and, and, and lots of things going on there. Um, at the same, and, and same time, China does continue to be a, a good market for us, uh, corn, even, even on the sorghum side. I know there's not much sorghum growing in Minnesota, but they're, they're still a good market for that. Um, and, you know, we've, they've, they uh, went through a protocol that allows them to, with Brazil, that allows buyers there in China to buy um, Brazilian corn much easier than they used to be able to. Um, and so there's, I'm sure some of it is, uh, you know, let's look to buy non-U.S. origin. But if you look at just the markets and the price spreads, um, you know, we had low river levels last year at this time um, that made U.S. corn uh, out of the U.S. Gulf more expensive um, than other origins because of that. We're back at that same issue here this year with low water levels. I think the industry's a little bit better prepared for it, but it, it is raising um, barge freight rates, which puts corn out of the U.S. Gulf a little bit more expensive. Um, the strong dollar doesn't help. Uh, and then Brazil's just had some, you know, very large corn crops two years in a row now. And so it, it uh, really makes, you know, you could say maybe it's part of the U.S.-China relationship, but if you look at the pricing numbers, that, that's a big part of it as well. What's the message to buyers regarding the crop that's being harvested in the U.S. right now? I'm sure many are aware of the drought conditions many growers have been dealing with, but I continue to hear about better than expected corn yields. Uh, I would agree. I, 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 you know, I'm sure you're hearing that from farmers in Minnesota. I'm hearing from, you know, farmers across the Corn Belt. I mean, there there are pockets here and there in, in various states that, that did have some down yields. Um, and, but others, you know, maybe they're not quite at expected or normal yields. Um, but very surprised at how good the yields are with the amount of rainfall they received this during the, the growing season. And so um, we'll have to see what USDA does in, in the coming months as far as that yield number and overall U.S. production. Um, and the U.S. Grain Council, we do, we have our corn quality, corn harvest quality report that we do every year. And so we're our, the, the company that does that for us. They're out, you know, taking samples as farmers are delivering corn to that first point of sale. Um, and so we're already checking that quality and by by uh, here in early December should have that report out for international customers. So yeah, everybody is watching very closely. How big is that U.S. corn crop gonna be? What's the quality gonna be like? Um, and then we'll start to also look at logistics of moving that crop to the export market. Um, we do see, and this, this is key for Minnesota since we can rail from Western Minnesota out to the Pacific Northwest export points fairly easily. We do see prices off the, the PNW being quite competitive um, against Brazilian corn for these November, December, January shipment periods. And so I know a lot of big corn buyers, whether that's you know South Korea, Taiwan, Vietnam, um, even Indonesia, which wouldn't necessarily be considered a um, uh, a, a big corn buyer normally just because they have quite restrictions there. They had a big drought and we see Indonesia starting to look at having to buy some corn. So while uh, we really do th see possibilities of even growing uh, exports here as all the, the larger crop that we thought we might have, um, you know, as we look at the quality of it, we're hearing that it's good quality so far and putting the logistics part together to move those move that corn into the export market. How did U.S. ethanol exports fare during the last marketing year? Um, 
we were again, again we were ex F, overall ethanol exports were down about 12 percent versus a year ago um but we saw some great uh you know canada which continues to be our largest export market um just to our north and uh you know over um, uh, up about 29 percent our exports to canada and uh, we continue to see that grow we work very closely with the uh, with the Canadian market, um, uh, and we continue to see province by province. Uh, you know, they're they're increasing some of their blend rates in different provinces in Canada, um, working to make sure U.S. ethanol plants can meet the requirements for exports to Canada. We really see, uh, you know, it's up 29 percent, and it, and even the a lot of that was the last couple of months of of the 22-23 marketing year and we can see we, we're looking at continued strong exports to Canada going forward. Um, seeing uh, the European Union and the UK are second and third largest markets. Um, so, you know, uh, a market like Europe that's considered a very mature and even kind of difficult market for U.S. corn uh, to go into, we're seeing growing exports of U.S. ethanol into, into that U, the EU and the UK market. Uh, again, you're seeing certain states within the uh, certain countries within the European Union going increasing, going to an E10 blend um, and U.S. ethanol um, making up. Uh, we're, you know, we, we have competition to the EU from you know, Pakistan and Brazil um, and a few others, but that continues to be strong market for U.S. and now U.K., which is separate from uh, from the, the EU, a uh, big strong market for ethanol exports there as well. There's a push by the U.S. government toward electric vehicles. Are we seeing other governments around the world that are implementing similar programs? And how might that impact demand for U.S. ethanol? Uh, I mean, yeah, EVs are popular uh, within government policies. Lots of places, you know, we're going to go 100 percent EV by 2030 or 2035. And knowing that, you know, if less than one percent of your vehicle fleet is EV today and to go to 100 percent and that short period of time, uh, you know, it's easy to say, very difficult to do. Our, our answer to that, and we're not anti-EV, we're just, if you're trying to reduce your your carbon uh, score and number within your uh, your country, you know, ethanol is a is an answer today. You can start blending ethanol today and reducing um, the amount of CO2 released into your, in, uh, <clears throat> into your air in your country to help clean things up. Um, you can do that today as you work to build your e-fleet EV fleet uh, in the years ahead, knowing you probably aren't going to meet your 100% goal by that short period of time, and so that that's our real strong message there. Uh, even you know even Europe, um, where you see strong EV play, and you're seeing in in other markets again that ethanol can be that answer today. You can you know the, you don't you don't have to uh, <clears throat> build new and different vehicles. You can start blending ethanol into your gasoline today and, and making a difference. So that's that's our big message there. Um, but you know, EVs aren't going away. Uh, and then the other thing that's getting quite exciting, both here in the US and some of our international markets, predominantly the EU and Japan, um, is the SAF, the <clears throat> Sustainable Aviation Fuel. Um, while, while governments talk about uh, you know EVs, nobody wants to fly in an electric plane. And so, um, that SAF and, and going alcohol to jet, um, <clears throat> making a, a big potential market for ethanol as we go forward, both here domestically and in some of our export markets. 
and we're getting in early as the policies are being set today for what that SAF market may be in 2028 or 2030 um, to make sure that <clears throat> US ethanol can qualify and be part of that. Because we really see um, that as a growing market for US ethanol, both you know, both the, the whole period domestically as well as some big export markets. What do the early numbers look like for the current marketing year as far as U.S. ethanol exports? And are you able to kind of forecast ahead to get a fairly clear picture on what to expect? Well, USDA puts out, uh, you know, uh, they just put out this morning the the export sales report. They don't do that for ethanol. Um, so the latest numbers I have for ethanol, official numbers on the export I have for ethanol is, is uh, through the end of August. Um, so I don't have any official export numbers on ethanol for September or what's going on here in early October. Uh, and talking with the trade, um, we have, again, you know, July and August were some strong months on ethanol exports. And so we are expecting that to continue. Um, uh, we're seeing, you know, we have some competition, obviously, with Brazilian ethanol. Um, and that that price spread and going to certain markets is it's coming, it's shrinking, um, you know, and just real, real big sales continuing into Canada and seeing that grow. Uh, we actually have staff uh, in Europe this week working on some issues there, hoping to see the Europeans continue to grow. Um, Japan, which actually is not part of the official ethanol export numbers because we export ethanol in the form of ETBE. So using ethanol to make ETBE rather than MTBE, um, and so the the ethanol that we export to Japan and ETB doesn't show up in the official um, U.S. government numbers, um, but we are working with our Japan office and looking at ETB imports. Um, and now you, through the work that the Grain Council has done, allows U.S. ethanol to make up 100% of the ethanol that goes into ETB. Just four or five years ago, it had to be 100% Brazilian. So we've worked... Um, First was 40%, then 66%, now 100%. And so we're estimating around 180 million gallons of U.S. ethanol was exported to Japan last marketing year in the form of ETBE. Um, and so that's that's and that doesn't show up in the in our in the official ethanol numbers. Um, you know, we're now that we can have 100% um, since last April, we expect that Japan market to grow a bit more probably up to maybe 200 million gallons or so, maybe 210 million gallons. And we're already working with the Japanese to start looking at direct blending um, so we could get higher than just putting ETBE uh, with their gasoline to, you know, to, get, to look at a, a 5% um, and then eventually a 10% direct blend uh, in Japan. Uh, so we have a lot of high hopes for, for Japan, even in this market here, just the fact that we can now have 100% of US ethanol making up that ETBE that's Produced, it's actually produced here in the U.S. and it gets shipped to, to Japan. Kerry, this seems like a pretty good spot to expand on the work that USGC does. You use the word work several times when talking about Japan, and I think that demonstrates what the Grains Council is all about. And let's also work in Minnesota corn to this part of the conversation because those commodity groups at the state level and the support and partnerships are critical. Oh, uh, exactly. I mean, the Minnesota corn uh, market research. Uh, you know, the checkoff system there in Minnesota, some of those checkoff dollars are the Minnesota corn and then gives to the U.S. to go out and do market development. So the, the, the funding um, and support that we get through for, from Minnesota corn through that checkoff 
uh, really allows us to do uh, what we can do. We, we, you know, we do get um, funding through USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service, but we need those matching funds from the industry to do that. So the funding is key for us to be able to have people on the ground around the world, have staff in, in Tokyo to be able to send people to Europe to have these discussions, um, to have you know staff uh, working for us in Canada, uh, working for us in Southeast Asia. Um, but even then, this just support the Minnesota corn farmers themselves that are, um, that work with the Grain Council, hosting groups when we bring them to Minnesota, being part of our advisory teams, um, and helping us uh, develop strategy. Um, so even just the time and commitment of the farmers there, the corn farmers in Minnesota, and even on the association side, uh, you know, Minnesota being supportive, uh, and the U.S. Grain Council can't lobby, and so for them, uh, for Minnesota corn to help uh, push the agendas, whether that's at the state capitol there in St. Paul or here in D.C., uh, really, really helps support us when we need, um, you know, uh, some advocacy being done um, on behalf of U.S. grain and corn exports. So all of that really helps and benefits us. And we wouldn't be able to do what we do globally without the support of, of the corn growers and the Corn Research and Promotion Council uh, there in Minnesota. Well, we've talked about corn and we've talked about ethanol, two major products promoted by USGC. What other products do we want to spend some time on as it relates to Minnesota corn farmers? Um, well, obviously, you know, DDGS is is a uh, another big um, product that we work with and, and export around the world and do market development for that. Um, and again, as I mentioned briefly, when we started, we have several of our ethanol plants here in the U.S. that are starting to differentiate. Um, and kind of make a new uh, product out of uh, some of our, you know, pulling the fiber out. Um, and so we're getting a higher protein or a high pro uh, DDGS. Um, some some are making what they're calling a corn fermented protein where it's a higher protein and they're adding some of the yeast back in and looking and finding uh, export markets for those products. Um, you know, some of those high pro and the corn fermented proteins can work well into um, different aquaculture diets into some pet food diets, um, but as well as broilers and layers and, and swine diets as well. Uh, and so just working with, um, especially where we think there's key markets where we can logistically move those products into uh, and, and working with players there to help uh, introduce those products um, from the member companies that are producing them, um, as well as how to use them. So we can uh, see even a higher, again, making markets for their higher valued products that are produced here in the U.S. and finding markets for them in the, in the global marketplace. Um, and, we, you know, Mexico continues to be our largest DDGS market. Um, and then the, the uh, as well as South Korea. Um, and then there's some key um, Southeast Asia markets so Vietnam and Indonesia uh, and some some degree Thailand. Um, and, you know, that's predominantly a container based market there and as is South Korea. Uh, and now that's great because I can take some of these uh, market, some of these high protein or corn fermented protein products via containers into these uh, key Southeast Asia markets. So uh, working on, you know, introducing the products, educating people how to use them, and then working on the logistics of how to move them from a ethanol plant in Western Minnesota to a, uh, you know, a, <clears throat> a catfish or a pangaseous uh, producer in South the southern part of Vietnam. So. Uh, that's all part of it, not just teaching and learning, but how to put together 
the logistics and the, and the buyers and sellers together to make those um, sales happen today and, and for those sales to continue moving forward. Carrie, you've covered a lot, but anything else we should be watching for over the next year from the Grains Council? Um, and we, we, you know, I, we talked about a lot of what's going on today. We are doing uh, uh, an, an increasing the amount of work we're doing in markets like in East and West Africa. Um, and, and we're actually we've actually taken some U.S. supplying companies uh, that are starting to export some small amounts of PDGS and some of the other corn high pro and corn fermented proteins to to markets in West and East Africa um, and small amounts, but, you know, we're working, we, you know, we want to, uh, we want Kenya or Nigeria, um, uh, Sierra, uh, uh, Senegal, um, Tanzania uh, to, you know, be the, it may take another three or five years or more for them to become major buyers. We're working with them today, helping get the, the policies set in those countries to allow them to import U.S. feed grains and corn and corn co-products, um, so that we can, you know, have growing markets in, in other parts of the world. And so, really, working uh, with those uh, East African markets and West African markets, um, we were very well versed and interested in Central America. Um, individually, you know, uh, Guatemala is the biggest corn market there, and our the Grand Council will be having our February meeting there in Guatemala. So some of our our farmer members that go there will see some of that firsthand. But when I take Guatemala and Costa Rica and Panama and El Salvador, um, or we can even throw the Dominican Republic in there and start adding them up, they're altogether they're a fairly large foreign market, and we and we ship some DDGS down there as well, and sometimes even combinations of corn and DDGS or corn DDGS and soybean meal even from the U.S. And so uh, continuing to work in that Central American market, just kind of in our back door. Um, to work to to, uh, <clears throat> to uh, have those markets continue to grow and continue to look at the U.S. because um, Brazil is also uh, trying to get into those markets as well. So uh, <clears throat> working and fighting to, to grow and, and maintain our market share down in that Central America and, and Caribbean market. For our listeners who would like to learn more about the U.S. Grains Council, where would you point them? Uh, well, if you go to uh, grains.org, our, our website, um, you know, we, you can you can follow up. We have a you know our section when we look at grains in all forms. Um, you can click on that and see, and you can break it down by you know grains in all forms, or you can look at just corn, or just DDGS, or just ethanol. You can look at the top ten markets there. Um, and lots of other uh, in our our newsroom on our website. You can read up uh, what's going on with the grains council globally. If you aren't, you know, you through that you can. Sign up to receive our weekly global updates and get that those global updates on a weekly basis. And you can learn about our uh, <clears throat> sustainable corn export platform, which is you know fairly new. We just released that in February, but we now are uh, through that we can offer a record of sustainability to our export customers for corn and, and corn co products are all part of that. And we're seeing that grow. Um, we're seeing uh, importers around the world wanting and, and requesting that. Um, an ex- a U.S. exporter has to get registered through our process, which is fairly easy. Um, but trying to differentiate U.S. corn as being sustainable uh, versus some of our other com- global competitors, and so you can you can read up and, and find information on our 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 corn sustainability platform there as well on our website. Anything else you'd like to talk about? Uh, again, just want to thank the great support we received from 
uh, Minnesota Corn Growers Association, Minnesota Corn and Marketing Research Council, uh, again, without their support. And, and I'm originally from Minnesota, so it's great to see the, the great support we have um, from Minnesota Corn and the producers there, uh, again, both financially with the, the support they give us, as well as the the interest and and um, and their their time to be involved in the grain council to, to allow us to do what we can the, the work that we do around the world. To learn more about the Minnesota Corn Growers and Minnesota Corn Research and Promotion Council, visit mncorn.org.